The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Family Matters with your host, Dr. Virginia Collin. In this program, we will explore some of the challenges families face and the solutions they create in today's world where marriage, parenting, and family forms are not what they once were. Now, here is Dr. Virginia Collin. Welcome to Family Matters. I'm your host, Virginia Collin. My guest today is Martin Hurlbert, who is an expert on developing good financial habits. He has written and lectured extensively on what drives our financial behavior and how this impacts the way we invest, spend, and manage our money. His passion is to help people learn to make better financial choices so that they can lead happier, less stressful, and more productive lives. He is the author of Yes, Money Can Make You Happy, And he is also a founding partner in TM Wealth Management, a firm dedicated to helping people simplify, unify, and multiply their wealth. You can find them online at tm-wealth.com. So, Martin, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me, Virginia. It's my pleasure. It's great to have you here. What are you hoping that we're going to accomplish during today's show? You know, in, in everything that I do, Virginia, be it radio shows or live presentations, I usually always have three goals. The first is to have fun. If we have fun, people will pay attention, which is important, right? To gain the Absolutely. next step or second goal, which is to teach people as much as I possibly can in our short time together. So I want every listener to be better off from having been part of this show today, whether they're single and want to stay single, looking for a mate, or they're happily married. You know, whatever their situation is, they all deal with money, and I want them all to learn something of value. Then my third goal, and most important of all, is to help your listeners change the way they look at themselves, the way they look at their money, and how money impacts their life. Those are my goals. Those are good goals. Let's get started. <laughs> what got you interested in this topic of, of paying attention to how you handle your money? Okay, well, you know, I've been a financial advisor for 24 years now. I started my own firm a few years back. But I remember about probably 10 years into my career, this is in the days before the Internet, if we can remember back that far, my mother sent me a clip from a newspaper, an article. And this article said that the um, 50% of all professional athletes, when they leave their sport, will declare bankruptcy within two years of of leaving the sport. So they go from millions or tens of millions of dollars to less than zero because bankruptcy means, right, you have less than zero within a few short years. I thought, wow, how, how can that happen? So I, I filed the article away and I began to see more articles and stories about lottery winners or people who get an inheritance, maybe sell a business. And then it just became my passion. Why do people make the choices they make with their money? And as a financial advisor, I also realized in watching my clients over the first 10 years, 
that those who succeeded financially, they just thought differently and they acted differently, and overall, they seemed to be happier than those who were struggling financially. So that became my, my mission and my passion, Virginia, is to read all I can about this, to write about, to lecture, and to teach, and to help people understand what drives their financial decisions and what they can do to improve their financial decisions so they can hopefully have a happier, less stressful, and more productive life. I have a question. How yes. old were you when your mom gave you this article about athletes who blow all their millions of dollars and wind up declaring bankruptcy? I was probably about 34 years old. Ah, so you had already been a financial advisor for a while. Yeah, for, yeah, for about 10 years when, when I got the article, yes. Okay. You so see, it was Virginia, a field Early in my career, I, I used to think that the key to being a good financial advisor was to have the best possible investments. And yes, it's important to have good investments. But if I have the best investments in the world, which again is hard to do, but let's say I have good investments for my clients, if they don't put money into the investments or they pull the money out prematurely or their own behavioral issues can sabotage the best financial plans out there. Got it. So you were already interested in the field, but there was a real switch in your understanding of what's going to work, what's going to help people. Exactly. What the real solution was, I began to change that, that ideal, that, that mindset, probably about 10 years into my career. I know I'm absolutely convinced, beyond any shadow of doubt, that one of my favorite sayings, uh, Virginia, is emotions can be hazardous to your wealth. I'm going to be we'll, interested to see what else you have to say about that. Okay. Well, we'll talk about that a little more later when we talk about the problem and the solutions as okay. well, just a little, okay. a little bit more in the show. Yeah, you and I have done a little preparation for this show, and I know we've talked about stress. You know, there's stress mm-hmm. on individuals, there's stress on families, and sometimes that's related to money. How often do you think, what, you know, how does money play into stress in a family and af- affect the family? Okay, you know, I have a, a book of quotations I put together, and uh, one of these quotations said, or says, excuse me, it doesn't matter if you're rich or poor as long as you've got money. And I say a little tongue-in-cheek, I think that money stress impacts every family, not just some of them, but every family, and at different levels. You know, some are more in control, but the, the Federal Reserve did a study in which they found the average American will spend 28 hours every single month worried about, stressed over, or calculating their personal finances. And I've read studies that show 8 out of 10 Americans will list personal finances as the leading cause of stress in their life. Wow, that's a and what lot I found of people. interesting, Virginia, is oftentimes I've seen this through research, my own personal experience, that when someone's income goes up, for instance, doctors or attorneys or, or high-income earners, oftentimes they have more financial stress than other people. Do you have an explanation for that? I think I, think I do, yes, and it's this. One of the causes of financial stress is information overload. We are all just inundated with so many choices we have to make every single day. And I'll give you an example. One of my mentors in the speaking business finished high school in 1960. They told his graduating class, if you happen to live until the year 2000, your biggest challenge will be what to do with all of your free time. And they thought that in the year 2000, we would be a nation of overweight, bored individuals. Now, Virginia, in 1960, why would they assume that by the year 2000, we'd all be bored with too much time on our hands? I have no idea. 
because they thought that computers and machines would do all the work for us and we would be a nation of people at leisure with nothing to do. I don't know about your experience, but my experience has shown me the exact opposite has happened with technology now and our smartphones and our dumb phones and our Blackberries and our Blueberries and all this technology has actually placed more demands than ever on us and on our brains. So Got every it. day when you wake up, what do you have to do? You have to check your, your email, your snail mail. You've got to check your LinkedIn, your Facebook pages. If you watch TV, which I don't do very much of, but if you have cable or satellite, you have maybe two or 300 channels to choose from. In my house, we have Netflix. Netflix has thousands and thousands, tens of thousands of shows and movies that I can watch anytime I want to, Virginia. So Absolutely. my brain is being inundated with choices. In fact, I'm reading a very good book right now called The Organized Mind by Daniel Levitin. Mm-hmm. He tells a story when he was a professor, I forget the name of the university, but there was a student there, a very brilliant graduate student from, it was back then, uh, Romania under Soviet occupation. It was a communist country. And he saw this brilliant graduate student in the bookstore nearly in tears. And he asked her, well, what's wrong? And she says, I don't know what pen to buy. And she stood before this rack of pens. There was about 40 different kinds of pens. And this very wow. smart student says, in my country, we had black ink and uh, blue ink and a pencil. Those are your only choices. And you're lucky if you had those three choices. But here in America, we have far too many choices. And those so choices... I, go ahead. Go ahead. Say, and those choices take a toll on our brains. Now, going back to the high uh, income earners, no matter what your field is, be it uh, politics or, or business or, or medicine or a- a- athletes, those who rise to the top and earn high incomes, they do work very hard at what they do. Okay? You can't be a doctor unless you are constantly training yourself on the latest techniques. Same thing for engineers and everyone else. So high incarners have, I guess, an additional stress on their brains that they have to stay at the top of their fields. It's almost hard for them to kind of turn their, you know, their brains off or their careers off. I'm not saying I'm a brilliant person, Virginia, but I absolutely love money. I can't stop thinking about it. And I don't mean in a greedy way, but I'm fascinated again with the behavioral side of money. So when I go on vacation, I read books on personal finances. And my wife tells me, Martin, can't you just give it a break? And honestly, I can't. I enjoy it. I, I have to do it. Well, when our brains are being inundated with so many questions, they become tired. And now you have to make financial choices. It can be challenging. Uh, from that same book, The Organized Mind by Daniel Levitin, I want to read a, a, a brief quote from that book. Here's what he said. We can have trouble separating the trivial from the important. Neurons are living cells. They need oxygen and glucose to survive. And when they've been working hard, we experience fatigue. Have you ever felt that, Virginia? Your brain was just tired? Oh, absolutely. Okay, we all do that, right? Probably more than ever. Now, this next part here, I think this paragraph is really important. Uh, Daniel Levitin said, every status update you read on Facebook, every tweet or text message you get from a friend is competing for resources in your brain with important things like whether to put your savings in stocks or bonds. So in other words, you go through your life with your career, uh, whether you work out, don't work out, what you eat, where you eat, what you watch on TV, all this electronic interference. And on top of that, you have to make good financial choices. I think it's almost no wonder 
that sometimes we don't. Uh, there was a, a study done at MIT that I thought was really fascinating. It kind of illustrates this point. And the study at MIT, they asked the participants to memorize either two numbers or seven numbers. But that was not the test. The test was what happened afterwards. When they were done memorizing these numbers, they asked the participants, would you like some fresh fruit or some cake? Now, Virginia, overwhelmingly, one group of people chose the fresh fruit and one group chose the cake. Do you think it's the ones who memorized two numbers that chose cake or did they choose fresh fruit? What would you guess? I have have no idea. And you're a smart person. Okay. Doesn't make sense to me. (laughs) Here's what happened. Those people who had to memorize seven numbers, the vast majority chose to eat cake. And those who chose to memorize only two numbers, the vast majority chose the fresh fruit. And their rationale was when their brain was being overworked by memorizing the seven numbers, it was tired. And therefore, it was less able to make a logical choice, which is, of course, the healthy choice of getting fresh fruit. I just figured out why I didn't know the answer to the question, and this will be fun. I thought you were talking about seven... They asked people a series of questions, and before they left, they said, hey, would you like something to eat before you leave? They had a healthy snack and a sweet snack. The majority chose a sweet snack. And then before they left Virginia, they said, hey, we want you to come back in two weeks for a follow-up. We'll have something ready for you to eat in two weeks. Would you like the sweet snack or the healthy snack? And most chose a healthy snack for two weeks in the future. But when they had something right in front of them, they chose the sweet snack. See, our brains operate like this. We have, of course, we all know this, the left side of the brain and the right side of the brain. And they're, they're supposed to work in balance. So the right side of the brain is creative. It comes up with ideas and potential solutions. The right side of the brain also wants one of two things, to get pleasure or to avoid pain right now. Right? It wants immediate gratification. Now, the left side of the brain is a logical side. It's supposed to analyze the uh, solutions that the right side comes up with and pick the optimal choice. Okay, the best bang for the buck or the most bang for the buck with the least amount of risk or cost. Well, when the left side is being tired by memorizing seven numbers or trying to choose between 300 channels of TV or keep up with all your email and your LinkedIn and your Facebook stuff status, it gets tired. Like, like uh, Dan Livingston said, your brain gets tired and fatigued. And now you have a, this financial choice. You're going to do what is best in the short run, unfortunately, unless we can get those things more in balance. So the challenge, I think, for most people today when it comes to making better financial choices is simply information overload. You know, if your listeners right now are in their kitchen, I would challenge them to go to their their kitchen junk drawer and open it up and take a look. And if they're not in their kitchen, maybe you can do this right now, and I'll do the same thing. Picture your your kitchen junk drawer. Okay, we all have it, right? I didn't know we all had it. Well, well many do. of us have junk drawers, and what goes I in do. there is some, maybe some old used batteries and things we're not sure if they work or not. If we don't know what to do with it, we put it in a junk drawer. And many of us have financial junk drawers. And we put in our financial junk drawer are things we're not sure if we should have or we want or need anymore. For example, you might have an insurance policy that your brother-in-law sold you three years ago. He's since quit the business. You have no idea if it's a good life insurance policy, but people hold on to it because they don't know what to do with it, and they throw it in their junk drawer. Or they might have some bonds that their grandmother bought them 40 years ago and said, don't ever cash these in. Now, 40 years later, you know, maybe you should, maybe you shouldn't. You're not sure what to do with it, so you put it in the, in the junk drawer. 
This is the way a lot of people have their money, unfortunately, organized. This is a true story, which I think is kind of humorous, but also very insightful. I had lunch with a good friend of mine about a year ago. We were old Army buddies. He's very successful in his career. He's smart. He owns a business, hardworking, good person, and so is his wife. And over this friendly lunch, he said to me, you know, Martin, my wife has a 401k from a job she left 10 years ago. And maybe you could help us roll it to an IRA or, you know, do something with that 401k. And I said, that's fine. That's what I do in my, my career. In fact, a lot of my business is rolling 401k to IRAs. So it's not a problem. And I wanted to know about how much money was there so I could, you know, get some ideas put together for him for our next meeting. So I asked him about how much money was in this old 401k account. And I was thinking there might be five or $10,000 there. He said, Martin, I think it's $150,000. Wow. So if you can imagine, Virginia, this hardworking, successful, smart person and his spouse, his wife, had a $150,000 portfolio in their junk drawer. And they get the statement once every three months. They look at that and say, you know what? We should probably look at this. We should probably do something with this. But put in a junk drawer and they forgot about it. And why? Because they have 300 channels to choose from on TV. Their brains are being overworked and overloaded. I think one more, one more challenge here on, uh, on financial stress or cause of financial stress before we get to solutions is this. It's when people don't understand and appreciate their unique money personality. And if you're, you're trying to make decisions based on what you think others think you should do or what others tell you to do, if it's not congruent with your money personality, it's going to cause stress. And here's the way I like to explain that, Virginia. Imagine you're driving on the freeway at whatever speed you drive on on the freeway. And you're just there, lost in your own thoughts, and someone goes whizzing by you 20 miles an hour faster than you're going. What do we tend to think of that person who whizzes past us? Tend do we praise them for speaking. the driving skills? Or are we a little concerned, maybe? A little concerned. A little concerned. Yeah, why are they going so fast? They're taking way too much risk. That's crazy. Now, while we're having that thought, we come behind someone who's going 10 miles an hour slower than we're currently driving. What do we think of that person who's driving too slow? Do we, That's do we praise annoying. their conservative driving skills? That's annoying. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's annoying. You know what? The guy goes too fast, he's a danger on the streets. The guy goes too slow, he's a danger on the streets. And so what I'm trying to get at here is we drive at whatever speed is comfortable for us, that we think is appropriate. Anyone who goes faster or slower than us we think is a menace to society. It's kind of similar with our money personalities. Those who take more risk than us, we say, wow, why are they taking all that risk? That's crazy. But those who take less risk than us, maybe our spouse, we think to ourselves, I don't get it. Why can't they take more risk? And so I think one of the, the key things to reducing stress in your life, financial stress, and to having a happier, more productive life related to personal finances, is to discover and understand your money personality. So okay, maybe Martin, you're a saver, we'll, maybe you're a we'll risk come taker. back to this question of money personalities after we take a short break. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. Most adults are able to make good decisions about how their families can move forward. They do not need to rely on courts to make such decisions, especially in cases of divorce. Far too many people suffer unnecessary anguish because they do not know what family mediators can do. 
we help people discuss problems constructively in a private, confidential setting. We help them stop fighting and stay out of court. To learn more about mediation and other family matters, visit ColinFamilyMediationGroup.com. Colin has one L and no S. Are you struggling with emotional, financial, and legal stress related to divorce? The Guide to Low-Cost Divorce in Virginia by Virginia Collin and Rebecca Martin teaches how to handle these processes in any state with special attention to Virginia's laws. This book can help you take care of yourself, get free legal advice, develop a good co-parenting plan, keep expenses down, and arrange a do-it-yourself divorce. The Guide to Low-Cost Divorce in Virginia is available from Amazon for just $4.99. No one can tell you how much money you'll have or when you'll see your children, right? Wrong. It happens every day in divorce court. Don't let it happen to you. When dealing with separation, divorce, co-parenting, or care of an elderly relative, there is a better way. Mediation. Save time, save money, and save your children. To learn more, visit the Academy of Professional Family Mediators at apfmnet.org. That's apfmnet.org. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to Family Matters. To reach Dr. Virginia Collin or today's guest, please call into the program at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You may also send an email to radioshow at collinfamilymediationgroup.com. Now, back to Family Matters. Welcome back to Family Matters. I'm your host, Virginia Collin. I've been talking today with Martin Hurlberg from www.tm-wealth.com. And we've been talking about what Martin calls money personalities, which is connected to how comfortable you feel with risk. What else can you tell me about that, Martin? Well, the, the money personality at Virginia is the lens through which you view your entire financial world. So your money personality impacts, yes, how you invest money, how you manage portfolios, but your money personality also impacts how you pay down your debt and how you acquire new debt if you do. Uh, money personality impacts how you save money, how you spend money. It really, it's, it's virtually everything. And it's not good or bad, it just is what it is, your money personality. They say that the biggest cause of divorce in America is, is money, but it's, I don't think it's really money. It's lack of communication or lack of understanding about money. And when people understand their own money personality and that of their spouse or significant other, it can go a long way into reducing some of the financial stress that they may feel. Now, if your listeners want to get their own money personality, they can go to my website. There's no charge for it right there on the homepage. So tm-wealth.com. Click on money personality, answer a few questions, and we'll send them a personalized report with their personality and that of their spouse or significant other if they happen to have one. So when you don't understand your money personality, we're talking before the break, that can induce more financial stress because you may do things that you're told you should do but are not congruent with your personality. They go against the grain, so to speak, and that could be difficult. 
I see. How many kinds of money personalities are there? You know, in my firm, we deal with five major personalities. Most of us have a dominant one and a secondary one. In fact, virtually everyone does. And this test will tell people what their major one is and their, and their secondary personality. Okay. We, we, try, you know, we try and keep it simple. So we could probably get a little more complex than that, but then it becomes unwieldy and hard to actually manage and use. So we want to make yeah. it kind of practical for people. Yeah, that makes sense. So what, uh, if my dad, for example, grew up in the Depression, and that colored the way he thought about money and Mm -hmm. the way he handled money until he was maybe 70 years old and very clearly rich. Right. Is, Is that what happens with lots of people? Well, I think, yes, absolutely. Your upbringing or circumstances can definitely impact your money personality. And so for someone like your father, and I have clients like this as well, who are multimillionaires, and they have a very hard time spending money. And their children will tell them, Mom, Dad, go ahead and spend it. We don't need the money. We want you to enjoy life. Yet if they were to spend money or too much money, it would actually make them uncomfortable. They would feel Mm -hmm. stress. So that's Mm -hmm. an example of doing something that others may think makes sense, because let's say you have millions of dollars. You know, take that extravagant vacation. Buy that new car. But for your dad or someone like him, that just may be very, very uncomfortable, and they shouldn't really do it. If we, we shall make choices in alignment with our money personality. That's why it's so important to understand it and discover it. Okay. That sounds good to know. So it's, let's circle back a little bit to the question of financial stress. You mentioned that a lot of divorces appear to be caused by fi- financial stress, and I can bear witness to that. Mm-hmm. What what are the effects of financial stress? Boy, I think the financial stress impacts every area of our life. It impacts our health. Studies show that people who have high levels of financial stress are two and a half times more likely to get ulcers. They're ten times more likely to suffer from headaches or migraines. Five times more likely to suffer from depression. Okay, that's just on the health end. How about on family life? You know we. We try and put interest rates or costs on, on say, let's say, credit card debt. If a family has a lot of credit card debt, it's call it 18%, whatever it is, and we, we focus on that return. But I think there's a cost that's far higher than that, and it's very difficult to manage. I'll, I'll read a quote for you. This came from 1966 from a, a workshop. And this quote said that debt is one of the curses of this day and age. When a family finds itself too far in debt, an atmosphere of discouragement enters the home. Relationships become tense, tempers become short, and marital troubles begin to erupt. Now, Virginia, my question for you and the listeners is, what kind of interest rate can we assign to that cost? Can we even measure that if it tears the family apart? Yeah, that's sort of the opposite of priceless. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. So there's this huge cost in terms of health, uh, relationships, spirituality, I often joke in my workshops, you know, can you buy spirituality? And people always say, no, you can't. And I always respond, it depends what church you go to. And I say that tongue in cheek. <laughs> but, you know, we are, better, better, sorry, we are better able to give service if that's important to us. We're uh-huh. better able to impact our community, whether it's through time or for money donations, if our financial house is in order. We'll have more peace of mind, I believe. Okay. And just life and- overall is better. And I do want to just remind the audience that we're talking here about the 
harmful, damaging effects of financial stress, but we're not defining financial stress as a shortage of money. No. We're defining financial stress as? Okay, well, let's first of all go with financial success. In my book, I define financial success as aligning your resources with your values. And your resources are your time, energy, and money. If those are in alignment with your values, what you truly believe in, then you'll probably be much happier and you'll have less stress. And there are many people who are multimillionaires and are miserable because I believe that their resources, and especially their money, is not in alignment with their values. You know, and we can make fun of Hollywood people who go from temporary relationship to temporary relationship and drugs and sometimes suicide if they have all the money in the world and all this fame and fortune, and that doesn't make them happy. But I think the Hollywood stars and the rock stars who make it and succeed in life and are happiest over time are those who find some cause they care about. And it's not just about the money for them anymore. It's, it's about more than just the money. Okay. So you align your money with your resources, it's, you're successful. If your money is not in alignment with your resources, then that's going to cause a lot of stress and, in my mind, failure, financially speaking. I see. So just making more money will not solve all my financial problems and alleviate all of my financial stress? We'd like to think so, wouldn't we? That, that's a huge myth, Virginia, that money solves financial problems. It, it does not solve financial problems. I think oftentimes it makes it worse. And I can give you two examples. Okay, in 2008, our nation went into the Great Recession, okay, the worst financial time since the Great Depression of the 19, late 1920s and early 1930s. Now, let's think about this. Prior to 2008, the stock market had five years in a row of growth. Real estate prices were going through the roof, right? Everyone's making tons of money before 2008, but they were spending even more. In the 10 years prior to 2008, Virginia, our national savings rate was nearly minus 2%. So we're making lots of money. The economy is growing, but we're spending even more. Then 2008 happens, and trillions of dollars, and that's with the T, trillions of dollars of wealth disappears. Stock market goes down by half. Real estate prices go down by half. In some areas, more than 50%. Trillions of dollars of wealth disappears. And in 2008, for the first time in over a decade, our national savings rate went positive. So I don't think having more money creates good financial habits. Now, there's another okay. example that's maybe we might call a little bit extreme, but uh, someone who's not too far away from you in West Virginia, Jack Whitaker. Do you know his story, the, the lottery winner? I don't know his story. Okay, Jack Whitaker was already a very successful building contractor. He was about worth, worth about $13 million in 2002. He had 100 employees, had worked hard his whole life. On Christmas Day, he won a lottery jackpot valued at $314 million. That's a good day, right? Whew. Or you might think. Jack Whitaker took the uh, single or the lump sum payout of, of about $113 million. Two years later, he wished he had never bought that ticket because his life was a complete mess. What he happened? He was being sued. His marriage was on the rocks. And here's a real tragedy. His uh, teenage granddaughter who was living with him, Virginia, had died of a drug overdose. Oh. You see, when he won that money, all of a sudden, everyone's come out of the woodworks to try and get some of that money, telling them sob stories and making up lies about cancer or sick children. He had to pull his granddaughter out of high school because she was also being inundated 
with all, by all these strangers. So he pulls her out, bought her a brand new sports car, and gave her a $5,000 a week allowance. Wow. Now, what do you do when you're 16 or 17 years old? You have a fast sports car and a $5,000 a week allowance. My guess is you might do something stupid. <laughs> you might start to party a little bit. You're bored out of your, your, yeah, you're just bored. And so she unfortunately turned to drugs. And within two years, she had died of a drug overdose. Oh, that is so sad. It's, it, it's tragic. And we oftentimes, we look at lottery winners and say, yeah, but, you know, they're, they were ignorant people. They weren't very highly educated. That's why they play the lottery. And, you know, if I was to get that kind of wealth, I wouldn't do that. Well, Jack Whitaker was already worth $13 million. He was a smart guy. Yet this sudden influx of wealth, a sudden increase in wealth, he couldn't handle it. And for the average person who doesn't win the lottery, you know, we often do similar things with our, say, a tax refund. We get a tax refund of $5,000, we might just go blow that money. It's our own mm-hmm. money, right? The government's just giving us back our own money, yet we treat it as found money. And that's a whole other, actually, topic of what I call sudden wealth syndrome. Right. So that's the basic idea that money does not solve financial problems. If anything, it makes them worse. The real solution is this, I believe, Virginia, and it's very simple. The real solution is simply making better choices. I found in personal experience and I found through my, uh, my research that those who succeed financially, they're not better looking, they're not smarter. There's many highly educated people who are complete financial failures. People who succeed financially don't work any harder. They do work hard, but you can work hard and still be a financial failure. That's people true. who succeed financially have learned to make better choices than the rest of us. That, that's the bottom line. Okay. But the reason we don't make those better choices, we, we talked about in the first segment, is our brains are so tired, they're so overwhelmed by all this trivia out there that it's hard for us to clear our mind and make those good financial choices. So what I've come up with, and I'm writing a new book about this, is three simple things that we can do to begin making better choices with our money. And these solutions are very simple. But I also want to emphasize that simple is not always easy, but simple is usually more effective. Does that make sense? Yes, it does okay. make sense to me. So, so even how do we get started? Some of these ideas will, will take some time and some effort. You'll have to give it some thought, but that's okay, because if you'll do that, I believe you will lead a happier, less stressful, and more productive life. Okay, what's so the, the first the, step? The first step is almost ignored by the mainstream media, and it's this to clearly define your purpose. Before you talk about stocks or bonds or investment strategies or tax strategies, before you get to the technical stuff, you have to sit down and say, hey, what matters most to me? What do I want my money to do for me? Do I want to be able to give my granddaughter a $5,000 a week allowance? Is that the most important thing to me? It's probably not, but it might be. So I'm not going to tell people what they need to believe, but whatever they believe, they should clearly define that. And we tend to have this idea of what we believe, but very few people actually really sit down and write it out, that this is what matters most to me. In fact, you can contact me through my website or send me an email. I've got what I call a self-assessment. It's two pages of questions you can ask yourself and have your spouse ask if you are married or have someone else in your life. You should both answer these questions and then compare answers. And once again, along with the money personality, that's the tool that will help you clarify what matters most to you. You see, when you clearly define what what matters most to you, it gives you, I think, almost like a sense of energy. Uh, People who succeed financially, they they do work hard. 
And that hard work is easier when you know why you're doing it. This is kind of an old uh, cliche story, but I think it's appropriate here. Maybe we'll try and get this before the next break. But a, a guy walks across a construction site with three brick bricklayers. He asks the first guy, what are you doing? And he says, hey, I'm laying bricks. What does it look like? Asks the second guy, what are you doing? I'm laying bricks so I can earn $20 an hour and support my family. Asks the third guy, what are you doing? I'm laying bricks so I can earn $20 an hour to support my family while I build this magnificent cathedral. Now, all three guys are laying bricks, right? But which one do you think went to work with more energy? Got it. The one making a cathedral. Yeah, the one who who sees the big vision. This is the end result that I'm working so hard for. He's going to do a better job, have more energy, have more fun. He's just going to be happier. Well, same thing for all of us, Virginia. We need to clearly define, hey, what's the end result that we're looking for? For ourselves, for our families, for our community. Let's start with the end in mind, like Stephen Covey says. So clearly define your purpose. I'll give you another example of this. When you don't clearly define your purpose, I have a, a picture from my local newspaper that was taken when the iPhone first came out. I think this is probably seven or eight years ago. Seems this like picture longer. Showed a, what's that? Go ahead. Okay, sorry. Th- this picture shows a line of people outside the, the iPhone store. They all have huge smiles on their face. They are literally applauding and laughing and shouting with joy as the first person walks out the store with their iPhone in their hands. And the caption below the picture says, this is the single best experience of my life, says so-and-so. Wow. Yeah, wow, exactly. So this young lady, who was 23 years old at the time, so she's a little young, but for this 23-year-old young lady, the single best experience of her life, Virginia, was spending $500 on a phone at one minute past midnight. Wow. And if you remember, the price of iPhones dropped by half two months later. Now we're on the sixth generation of iPhone. So the single best experience of her life is obsolete. Nobody, but nobody would be caught dead with an original iPhone. Maybe for a Halloween party as a gag, right? So the point here is I think that this young lady probably did not have a clearly defined purpose. She probably was not aligning her money, her resources, with what mattered most to her in her life. And I hope she turns that around. But, but oftentimes when we're out of control with our spending, we're going into debt, it's because we've lost sight of our purpose. And we're trying to get happiness or find happiness by buying things. And it probably applies to you as well, Virginia. I know it applies to me. I like buying stuff. Getting a new phone, a new car, getting a new gadget is fun for me. It's exciting. I look forward to it. But I have to make sure I'm balancing that with my life's purpose. Okay, so the first step to achieving financial success, I believe, is clearly defining your purpose. Clearly defining your purpose sounds like a great place for us to take a pause so people can think about their purposes while we have a short break. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com No one can tell you how much money you'll have or when you'll see your children, right? Wrong. 
It happens every day in divorce court. Don't let it happen to you. When dealing with separation, divorce, co-parenting, or care of an elderly relative, there is a better way. Mediation. Save time, save money, and save your children. To learn more, visit the Academy of Professional Family Mediators at apfmnet.org. That's apfmnet.org. Most adults are able to make good decisions about how their families can move forward. They do not need to rely on courts to make such decisions, especially in cases of divorce. Far too many people suffer unnecessary anguish because they do not know what family mediators can do. We help people discuss problems constructively in a private, confidential setting. We help them stop fighting and stay out of court. To learn more about mediation and other family matters, visit ColinFamilyMediationGroup.com. Colin has one L and no S. Are you struggling with emotional, financial, and legal stress related to divorce? The Guide to Low-Cost Divorce in Virginia by Virginia Collin and Rebecca Martin teaches how to handle these processes in any state with special attention to Virginia's laws. This book can help you take care of yourself, get free legal advice, develop a good co-parenting plan, keep expenses down, and arrange a do-it-yourself divorce. The Guide to Low-Cost Divorce in Virginia is available from Amazon for just $4.99. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. You are listening to Family Matters. To reach Dr. Virginia Collin or today's guest, Please call into the program at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You may also send an email to radio show at com. Now, back to Family Matters. Welcome back to Family Matters. I'm your host, Virginia Collin. Today I'm talking with Martin Hurlbert, author of Yes, Money Can Make You Happy. And his website is tm-wealth.com. Before the break, we were talking about the first step towards good financial decision-making. And the first step is to know what your real main purpose in life is, which is not something everybody thinks about when they do their financial planning. So exactly I think right. we- and yet that should be the foundation for all financial plans. And is that foundation upon which you make choices, whether it's to go to buy something or to go back to school or start a business, every financial choice should be measured against your, what I call foundation of values, but it's your life's purpose. Okay, so we've got step one, figure out what your major life purpose is. What's the second step? Okay, the second step now is to create a plan to support that purpose create a written financial plan. Now, Virginia, you probably can't tell by listening to me, but I was born in Edinburgh, Scotland. My mom is Scottish. My dad was in the American Air Force stationed there in the 1960s. And I came to the U.S. when I was three years old. But I tell that story because where I was born in Edinburgh, Scotland, high on the hill overlooking the entire city, is something they call Edinburgh's Disgrace. 
And if your listeners do a Google search for Edinburgh's disgrace and click on images, they'll see this image of the front of the Parthenon. See, what happened in the early 1800s, the leaders of Edinburgh, Scotland, decided to build an exact replica of the Parthenon from Athens, Greece. That's a very worthwhile, wonderful goal. It was supposed to be a war memorial to the war dead. Well, they built the first row of columns in these huge steps. They got a couple columns on the side, and then they ran out of money. And there it sits, 200 years later, called Edinburgh's Disgrace. You can see it from all over the city, and I have personally climbed on those steps. Now, a question wow. I have for, for you and your listeners is, is building a replica of the Parthenon a good goal? And it's kind of a trick question. Yeah, I think goal. I'm going to have to give it a qualified maybe at this point. There, I like, I like your, your boldness right there, Virginia, a qualified maybe. It's a good goal if you can afford to finish it. But if you can't afford to finish it, you get partway through this, uh, this project and you stop building, 200 years later, people will do a Google search and it'll be right there, Edinburgh's Disgrace. So when I teach my live classes through employers or to associations or other groups, I often tell people that a key cause of financial failure is too many good choices. Now, we're on radio today, so you can't see me. But if I was saying the words good and you could see me, I'm making air quotes. So I say too many good choices, I'm putting that good in in, in quotation marks. Here's what I mean by that. We We fool ourselves by justifying our spending. For example, is it better to take a five-year-old child to Disney World or buy them a book about Disney World? Kind of depends on your circumstances, doesn't it? Okay, and exactly on your right. goals. It, it, exactly. It depends. Most people say, well, you've got to take them there. They're only going to be five once. And if they, we, we make it a good choice because they're only five years old that one time. Well, life is a never-ending series of first-time events. If you can afford to take that five-year-old to Disney World and still achieve your major's life purpose, then by all means go. But if you go into debt and finance that trip or that experience, it's probably a wrong choice. See, I can justify buying a boat for my family that maybe I can't afford, but I'll say it will create experiences and memories for my family. Therefore, I'll buy the boat that I can't afford and so on. So I think you see where I'm going with this. When you have a plan that says... This is my major life purpose. When, I, when all is said and done, this is what I want to accomplish. You put money there first. You figure out what it will take to achieve those goals. If there's money left over, by all means, you can spend that money then. That's fine. But you don't want to let those quote-unquote good choices consume all your money right now. And that, again, that's kind of the right brain taking over the left side, looking right. for immediate gratification to feel good in the short run rather than the long run. And you certainly don't want to go into debt to buy that boat or make that trip to Disneyland because once your family is in debt, that's going to drag you down. Right. And then, yes, exactly. You're more stressed out now. You may have to get a second job. You end up spending less time with the family eventually because you can't sustain that forever. Okay. You talked earlier about... You talked earlier about money personalities. Does that tie into creating a plan so that you can achieve your purpose? Yes, it does. Your financial plan needs to take into consideration your money personality. Here's an example I use for that. Okay, If my parents and I, when I was a young child, we took many trips, being in the Air Force, oftentimes driving across the country. 
my dad's number one goal in a cross-country trip was to get there as quickly as possible, drive for 12, 14 hours a day. My mom's goal was to stop at every single historic marker along the way. Wow. There was a plaque in the middle of a cornfield in Iowa. My mom would yell, stop the car, stop the car. We'd all pile out, read the plaque, take our picture, and then continue on. Two very different styles of travel, right? Yes. Do you think that might have caused some conflict in my family? There could have been occasional arguments about that. Occasional arguments, a little bit of stress there, right, Virginia? Now, here's another question. Who was right, my father or my mother? There isn't a right and wrong about that. There's just, you know, we got to talk to each other. (laughs) And so if they understood their travel personalities, then my dad could say, you know what, instead of three days, we'll take five or six days. And my mom could say, with a little bit of planning, instead of every single historic marker, We'll stop by and spend some time at these three, four, or five sites along the way, like the Arch of St. Louis or whatever we want to do. So if they understand their own personality and that of each other, they can now compromise and create a plan that meets both of their needs. Mm-hmm. So when your listeners have to, set, to create their own financial plan to support their purpose, yes, they should first understand and appreciate their money personality and that of their spouse. And then to get that for free, go to my website tm-wealth.com. It's right there on the homepage. Answer a few questions, and we'll send you the free report. So once you have that plan and you use your money personality as a basis of that plan, that will help you prioritize and make better use of your limited resources because we cannot do everything we want to do. That's the second step then is create a plan to support your purpose. Okay, step one, know your purpose. Step two, create a plan. What's step three? Step three is progress. Measure your progress. I think once you've clearly defined your purpose and you create a plan to support that purpose, the best thing you can do is once every three months, once a quarter, calculate your net worth. Sit down, add up everything you have, everything you owe, and find whatever that number is. Hopefully it's positive, but it might be negative. But whatever that number is, measure it and record it. And three months later, do it again and do it again. And by measuring our progress, you'll begin to make better choices. If you notice the number is getting smaller or lower, well, you have to then make more money or spend less money. And that seems so obvious, but we're so caught up in our day-to-day activities of watching those 300 channels of TV, of all the online interactions, interference in our life, that it's very easy to lose sight of our progress or our goals. There's something else, Virginia. I've noticed this in the life of all my clients who are multimillionaires. They know what their net worth is. They know how much money they have at all times. This is kind of a basic question here, and I hope you don't take it the wrong way, but do you think wealthy people become wealthy they accumulate millions of dollars, and then they begin to count it? Or oh, no. do they start counting the money from the very beginning, and that's why they have wealth? You count it along the way. Yes, they start off counting it. They, they, it's, they, it mattered. Even if it was only $2, then $10, then 100 and then 200 and so on, money matters, and they count it all the time. Not in a greedy way, and they're not absorbed or consumed by money, but they simply monitor their progress. A friend of mine has, a, I think, a, a great idea that would solve all the problems in, the, in, our, in our country, financially speaking. He wants Congress to pass a law that will require every individual to post their net worth 
on their garage door <laughs> in six-foot-high numbers. That I think that's a could be brilliant dangerous. plan, Virginia. Here's why, okay? If I, without that law, if I buy a brand-new $50,000 SUV, I drive that home, what do my neighbors tend to tell me when they see that brand-new car? Oh, they think you're doing really well. Yeah, Martin, you must be doing great. That's a sweet ride. Hey, take me for a spin around the block. Let's go drive somewhere. I get lots of attention, and that feels good. Remember, emotions can be hazardous to your wealth. I get emotional satisfaction out of buying a $50,000 SUV. Now, what if my net worth meter on my garage door just dropped by $50,000? And you could see that. Would that car be quite so impressive? Not quite so much. Not quite so much, right? And then what if my net worth was already negative to begin with and it went even worse? You'd say, Martin, you're an idiot. Take that car back. Look at your number. Well, unfortunately, Congress is not going to pass that law. So it's up to you, it's up to your listeners to measure their own net worth on a consistent basis. And that will begin to help you make better choices with your money. You'll catch yourself making mistakes before it's too late. Hope that makes sense to you, right? It does make sense to me. You have um, a number, an estimate from the work you've done with people or from research you've seen. How much difference does it make if people go through these steps? You know your purpose, you create your plan, and you consistently measure your progress. Does your net worth increase significantly faster? It does. It increases by about 117% faster than those who don't use these these, uh, that's fascinating. Again, Where does that so number what that means come is from? If, if your net worth is $100,000 and without doing these principles, it grows to $110,000, the person who applies them would have had their, their net worth grow by that $10,000 by, by a little more than twice that, to about $121,000. So without wow. the principles, you go from $100,000 to $110,000. With the principles, from $100,000 to about $121,000, which is a nice little uh, difference right there. But when it adds up over time, we are talking now, I think at a minimum, hundreds of thousands of dollars difference over two or three decades. Yeah, that's going to be an awful lot. millions of dollars difference yeah, over two or three decades. Yeah, that's going to be an awful lot. Okay, yes. we've got just maybe a minute or two left. Are there a couple of particular thoughts that you especially want to make sure the audience gets to hear about? Okay, I'll say this, yes. First of all, having millions of dollars or more is the end result, or that's, that's one of the byproducts. But the real thing is, it's having a happier, less stressful life. That's the reason you do these principles. Money is a byproduct. Your listeners need to go to tm-wealth.com and get their money personality. And we don't have time for this today in the show, but I have written a special report with the top five financial mistakes people make and how to avoid them. If they want that free report, I think it's eight pages long, send an email to martin, M-A-R-T-I-N, at tm-wealth.com. So martin at tm-wealth.com and say, Martin, send me the free report on the top five financial mistakes and I'll give it to him at no charge. Okay, sounds good. I definitely want to thank you for being on the show and I really appreciate uh, the attention you bring to the fact that what's going to make a happy financial life is knowing what your purpose is. That's the first step. Yes. Okay, thanks very much. Thanks for having me, Virginia. It's been my pleasure.
Thank you for joining us this week on Family Matters. Please tune in for another edition featuring host Dr. Virginia Collin next Tuesday at 3 p.m. Pacific Time, 6 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Be kind, heal, and grow. Oh,